Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Ryan, who is co-founder and CEO of 3Flow. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, well, I'm always, uh, I, I always start with the morning because we release it in the morning. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, uh, don't want to ruin the magic, but it's certainly not morning where I am. I'm, I'm assuming, is it, is it morning where you are? Where are you joining us from today? It is, I, I am in Seattle. And so it is, uh, it is decidedly morning where uh, there's a three and five year old uh, about ready to run out the door to make their way to school. So uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a nice morning in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, nice, nice. We're not, we're not going to have any small people join us on the, on the podcast. Um, we haven't done that yet. We're, we're 100 episodes in. <laughs> There's uh, always a first. Maybe if we slid it up a little bit earlier, we would have had yeah. a shot. They're, yeah. uh, they're one foot out the door at this point. But uh, yeah, a little oh. bit earlier, the high probability that that would have happened. I'm looking forward to that. We've had we've had many Amazon deliveries. We've had many <laughs> random animals come into picture, but but weirdly, for we're nearly yeah nearly 100 episodes, and we've not had a not had a single <laughs> small child, which is very disappointing. Um, so, uh, but anyway, I'm digressing massively about podcasts. Thank you for joining us. Um, but as we traditionally like to do on the Leadership and Insurance podcast, it'd be really kind if you could introduce uh, yourself and the, and the three flow business of what it is that you guys do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, as you said, Ryan Sokshin, co-founder and CEO of 3Flow. Um, we live in the employee benefit insurance industry. And fundamentally, what we do is help uh, employee benefit brokers and employee benefit carriers work together uh, more deeply and collaborate in spirit of driving better outcomes for employers. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, a US-based uh, focus in terms of our business, but we've uh, uh, we've been really excited in terms of the progress we've been able to make to date in in helping drive that initiative forward and helping to to bring some uh, modern solutioning to how these really key stakeholders can can work together uh, more effectively at, at a simple basis. And um, that's something as a core charter of what we do is how do we connect these threads together uh, so that the outcomes can be improved. And uh, we're really excited about the progress we've made. Okay, amazing. I I, I always. Uh... I'm sort of interested to sort of dig into dig into background recently. So you 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 are from the insurance industry, aren't you? Prior to this, um, in in the benefit space, presumably. Uh, otherwise, it's a wild stab in the dark. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I was. That was how I I grew up in in the employee benefit business, um, mm -hmm. and I I knew and understood the dynamics between how these two sort of constituencies work together. And so I was on the on the supply side, so to speak, on the carrier side, and I worked. Uh, in the in the employee benefit marketplace for uh, a little over 12 years, um, working very deeply in this space and working with a number of different you know uh, brokerage entities where you have really large multi-billion dollar firms and you have smaller <clears throat> excuse me two three person uh, individual consulting firms and and fundamentally the way in which the insurance carriers operate and work with the brokerage side was not that much different. And so what we saw was a real opportunity to help uh, these two key stakeholders in the whole process work together more effectively. Mm. Does that suggest that, that, that your sorts of technology, there's, there's almost a sort of democratization of, of that opportunity because, you know, big companies are, big carriers are set up really efficiently to work with big brokers because they bring them so much business, but kind of putting in some technology that makes that relationship work in, in sort of the same way universally. Does it, does it democratize uh, the industry to some extent, do you think? 
I think it democratizes the exchange of information more fundamentally, right? Mm -hmm. And so how they're ultimately going to succeed uh, as an entity, you you give them that tooling. And so there Mm -hmm. may still be delineation between top performing firms and and those that maybe are are in the middle from a a growth and revenue standpoint. What we believe is that there should be more of a democratization in terms of how the information flows. It Mm. shouldn't be so gated. And right now the employee benefit business is very siloed in the way that each entity has tools and solutions that are great, right? They're really, really nice enterprise tools, but there is no thread that combines and connects those two pieces together and Mm. allowing for that data to be democratized and flow so that more thoughtful analysis can go into it so that you can elevate the conversations and the analysis so that you can drive better outcomes is where we get really passionate. Mm. Do you think, because uh, I used to work for a carrier, that was my first role out of college. So, um, you know, I, I, and I've been doing this for 15 years now. So it's a very embedded in, in the insurance industry and, and culturally, um, and it's similar to my industry in the recruitment industry, culturally the, the USP you had as a carrier was was your own, you know, ring fence data set, right? You know, the, the, all the information you had was your USP. It was, you know, and there's still clearly unique data sets in every carrier, but but that is getting eroded away by you know third party data sources, sharing of data. Um, has that, you know, the the acceptance of kind of the the need for a sort of open view on data. Um, I'm sort of trying to get get at, you know, could your business have existed 10 years ago? And I, I know you've been around since, I think, 2015, uh, and I think originally it's Watchtower Benefits, but 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 it, I, I can't see as 10 years ago you being able to have that sort of openness towards data. Do you think that's fair? I think a little bit. I, I think the, the openness of data that we have is if in the employee benefits business, fundamentally, uh, the insurance carriers are assessing the risk of that employer. Right. And there's core elements to that risk package that they need to review, which primarily is the, the, the plan, the policy to be insured, the population of individuals to be insured, and then the underlying claims experience um, mm. if the group is of a certain size. And yeah. those three things together equal risk package. Mm. And what we learned and what I experienced on the carrier side was that carriers and brokers are trying to share this information so that they can do a thorough review and analysis of that risk package. And so one piece that we realized was you actually accelerate even large players by a considerable amount. If you just improve that exchange as a Mm -hmm. fundamental one-on-one thesis of Mm -hmm. how about we just flow this information back and forth in a more easy and streamlined way that I think didn't and wouldn't have a problem 10 years ago. I think the the macro trend of adoption of systems and tooling and tech was something that would have been a problem 10 years ago. Mm. And so I think, I think the advent of that has really been assistive to our business and understanding, oh, imagine what we could do if we had a better way in which to receive this information, to analyze risk, to price risk, and then to ultimately place risk, and then mm. grow a block of risk over time. And that's mm-hmm. where we've seen real uh, real large carriers leaning in because they don't see it as much of a, well, this is democratizing and a threat to me in some way. It's actually an accelerant to my business. And that's where they think about this from both a new business acquisition standpoint, as well as from a in-force block. These are multi-billion dollar 
blocks of business that they're managing. And that's mm -hmm. material for them in terms of how they think about that data flow. And so that's how mm -hmm. we're observing it. And I think, again, the the advent and le leaning in on the use of technology 10 years ago, that would have been hard uh, to mm -hmm. do it. And then just basically seeing dollars be put to work for API development and things like that. Uh, a number of years back, it would have been like an aspirational digital strategy, but mm -hmm. we didn't see it manifest in real dollars being put to work. And that's happening today. And that's a really, mm -hmm. really exciting macro trend that we're seeing in the benefits business, particularly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, interoperability is a popular to topic in other industries. Uh, healthcare is obviously one of them. Um, yeah, we, we touched on the role it plays there, um, but so more broadly, you know, what role does it play in today's insurance market? Because I, I definitely think this, this is siloing that we love. We love to do in, yeah. in insurance. We love specialization and siloing, um, and that doesn't work in this world. So, you know, what part does it have to play? It, so, to us, it is a it is a fundamental tenet of what the employee benefits should be. It's still mm -hmm. an aspirational statement because mm -hmm. interoperability does not exist yet within the U.S sort of domestic employee benefit market, but we believe very deeply and I believe very deeply on the point of view that if you imagine how this, this information would flow through a, a true journey of interoperability, what you're able to do is really unlock all of these new elements to the business that are really, really exciting. And so if you imagine the journey all the way through of an employer in purchasing, renewing, analyzing, placing again or changing carriers and then how that all, all ultimately maps down to their employees and their purchase experience. If you remove those silos and those gates, you actually accelerate the whole process. And I would argue you benefit everyone, including all of the suppliers that are trying to sell into that value chain. And what we have observed is that a lot of the technology investment within the employee benefits business has been after the employer makes a sale purchase. So I'm gonna choose this health plan. I'm gonna choose this dental plan. I'm gonna choose this disability plan. Let me make sure I'm setting up my employees effectively so that they can make good choice. I think where we're attacking and the uh, what we can do in terms of this whole journey is that pre-sale decision, which is the manufacturing and packaging of what am I choosing? What is the best plan for my employees? What's the best structure for me to consider? And then let's remove the gate for that information to flow all the way through. And that gets really exciting, especially when you think about the generational flip that's happening in the US in particular, where you've got this whole generation that's retiring and there's a new generation of workers that are demanding a different experience in terms of product construction within their employee benefit compensation package. And by removing some of those gates and allowing this to really flow through, you actually give yourself a real chance to be creative around how do I bring new solutions, whether it's a mental wellness product or a financial wellness product, or it's a family planning product all the way through to market. Um, and we're, we're emboldened in that position because you start to then get to that point where you can really think about a better future of how does this operate and really harness the energy of wonderful people in the business, but are uh, they're a little constricted right now based off of the siloed nature of how all that information lives. Mm. I was just thinking as well while you're saying that, it, it, it's just, it, it's the classic sort of, talk about the flow, um, the ease of use, and, and just a better job that you're enabling employers to do towards their employees because they've got 
they've got time, they've got access to data so they can feed back and communicate more effectively so you can compete because that's what always resonates with me when we're talking about benefits. As you can imagine, the last two years, as, as some of the works in the executive search space, there's been lots of talks about what the benefits packages look like. And it's not compensation. It's that benefits need to be different. Um, I mean, actually on that, I wondered what, what you know, it's been a very specific point in time that we're having this conversation after sort of a very unusual couple of years. It's been a shift towards walk, working from home. How have you seen that? That's, how has that impacted the benefits space? Are we seeing demands for different types of benefits, for example? I think a little bit. It's been, it still remains fairly insulated, in my opinion, based off of yeah. how much change are we seeing. I think there is a lot of discussion. We're not seeing as much conversion into action in terms of purchases or variations of purchases mm. being made in terms of our lens that, that we see. We support right now a segment of the, the U.S. population that are employer groups that are uh, in sort of the mid to large size category that, that have been pretty stable. They didn't go through dramatic fluctuation during the pandemic, and they have not gone through dramatic fluctuation as part of the post-pandemic or pseudo-post-pandemic, and then in this sort of great resignation phase. So they've been fairly stable, but we have seen a real advancement in the evaluation of the category that we're sort of talking about as the emerging product category, which is yeah. all of these new behavioral health, mental health, depending on how you think about the categorization and the bucketing of them, really, really cool, interesting um, products and services that are being offered. And what, what we observe is that a number of these are starting, but then they're trying to figure out how do I make my message heard to the market within the employee benefits world because brokers and carriers have such close connection that mm -hmm. you really need to get your way into the brokerage side of the market if mm -hmm. you want to have a material expansion in terms of who's using your service or, or who's using your product. So we're seeing the early phases of that, but I, I still think it's on the front end. It hasn't been something that has been experienced over the last couple of years within the benefit space, at least to date. Because mm. it's 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 something that I've been conscious of because we've had a couple of uh, guests on the podcast. You know, I, I know a few businesses. I mean, I mean, and I think about the sort of distribution strategies. Um, you know, we've got Armadillo that we came on here that do that do a home warranty subscription, and one of their one of their distribution is 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 healthcare for the home, and and the rationale behind that being. We're now working from home. You know, those things that didn't concern you about warranty on your home now become a problem because you're there so often. Um, and I think it's interesting because it started to get me think, now I'm at home every day working from home. I mean, this is my business, but we probably won't have a, certainly won't have a kind of fixed location every day. You know, at best we'll have a flexible setup. And that, that means as an employer, I have to start thinking much more creatively about, well, what's important? You know, even things like gym structures, um, you know, like there's no point having a one location gym. So that means I go towards gym pass or something like that. And, you know, obviously you're, the mental health thing, I think hugely important as well. You know, we're missing that awareness of our employees every day because we're not seeing them every day. So um, I think it's an interesting period of time. But, yeah, it does feel very grassroots. And uh, uh, um, it's interesting to, to hear you say that because obviously you have a much better, better lens on this. Um, Going back there's to the beginning, some, sorry. There's, no, there, uh, there has been a couple, I would say there's been a couple product segments within benefits that historically, I think had just kind of flattened out a little bit. And so your mm -hmm. traditional, I'd, I'd put the traditional voluntary and worksite 
benefits in that category. Mm. And we have seen them actually have a pretty good push. Yeah. So if you take a product like a critical illness product or a hospital indemnity product, I think as you've seen employers migrate to the high deductible health plans, and you've got this, uh, you've got this gap, maybe a four or $5,000 deductible, where now it's ultimately on the family to cover that first $5,000. Mm. There has been a really nice use case for these products that had historically sat over a little bit on the shelf, mm. partially because of the way that they were just distributed. And mm -hmm. so we're seeing um, actually that uh, not net new product segment, um, but actually get a bit of a resurgence in terms of the amount of demand that we're seeing from what we know very deeply, which is our, our network of, of brokerage side, mm -hmm. which represents really the employer demand. And so we're seeing a pretty nice spike on that. And I think if you overlap that with the macro trends of what's happening with um, obviously the pandemic, there were times more frequently maybe that people were utilizing hospital services, et cetera. And so they're now seeing correlated value to that. The other piece that I think has been interesting with that segment is th those carriers in particular have been more mindful about how do we actually help claims get paid faster and easier? Mm -hmm. Whereas there was always this sort of uh, conception that the, that market had a really, really low payable claim rate. Um, because there was lack of awareness even at the policyholder level that it you had this policy in place because it was embedded within a couple different segments, and actually I give them a lot of uh, a lot of kudos for being thoughtful on how could I pull forward health claims because then I can identify if it's a hospital indemnity product. I know very clearly if you were an inpatient in a hospital, and I can use that data dump to actually kick out forward a payment of that claim. And so I think mm -hmm. that's a really great signal of the industry of trying to be more consumer friendly to understand that this is actually a nice uh, supplemental plan that can come in and roll with a underlying high deductible health plan. So we have been seeing that more so in the last couple of years than we did uh, the few years prior, which I think is a really positive signal to the business. Mm. I think that's such a, a, a key shift in the way that all businesses are having to look like look at themselves now in, in, in to say culturally um, the, the insurance, insurance industry has a, has a has a bad rep kind of outside of the insurance industry like if you don't work in the insurance industry you know if you read any mainstream press I was reading an article this morning and they love latching on to resistance to pay claims and actually if you speak to anyone in insurance it's like no we want to pay claims as quickly as possible because it's the biggest cost to us um, we just want to challenge those, those claims that we have concerns about or, or we're worried about fraud or, or even just they're large enough and complex enough that they deserve investigation you know that but but most of the kind of push towards this um it, it, it but i think it's interesting how much I, I do feel that's cultural shift that's happened in the time that i've been in the industry mm. um you know that proactivity um but it's the evolution of our ability to see that data clearly and quickly um and 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 you know it wasn't possible before um i'm actually it's funny i'm, I'm smiling so i'm thinking about i've just moved i have just moved from an office and and, and i was thinking why haven't i made my refund and they were oh you haven't asked for it and i was like why do i have to ask for it I don't, i'm not there anymore like just just pay it back to me um yeah uh, but but as we talk i think i think the insurance business is making great strides and you, and you can look at the more sort of 
um, you know, more slightly more complex versions of like parametrics. And, but the trend is towards let's pay things as automated as possible, as quickly as possible. And, and that availability of data, particularly in, in things like healthcare claims or, or related claims, should be pretty pretty transparent and quick and easy if you can if you can make it happen yeah um, i think that's true and i think yeah. that you i think one of the challenges that the benefits business has had if you if you compare this to the pnc commercial mm -hmm. business in the states is that they're they have been slower to adopt how they're using and, and letting information flow um for these types of purposes, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. I want to pay a claim faster, whether it's I want to use information to make better decisions. And I think what we're seeing is an acceleration of that within benefits, which is really inspiring because mm -hmm. there has been a considerable delta. You go to an insurance conference and you talk to uh, the ways in which the PNC marketplace is using information and passing information. They're talking about and you know insurance for you know droids and things like that and then you reflect on benefits and like i can't even people are emailing stuff back and forth and like mm. typing things by hand mm. so there is this idea where there there was a, a substantial gap between just the methods to which they're thinking about information and engaging mm. and i have had firsthand uh, observation of seeing that shift and uh and i think that will really help drive how we're thinking holistically around what decisions an employer's making to offer the best benefits for their employees, full stop, yeah. right? And yeah. that is a really like easy thing to say, I wanna do the best job I can. But if you start to peel that back and say, okay, now what goes into that process? It's really hard. It's really hard because of a whole bunch of inputs and reasons. And as you start to loosen the reins on, access to information and unlocking what I call the intelligence layer of the business, you really can start thinking creatively around structure. Again, whether that's on the health side, whether it's on the ancillary side, whether it's within uh, sort of the, the other core employee benefit package piece of it. And, and I think we'll continue to see that over the course of the next five to 10 years. Um, and and we're, we're super excited to be part of that because we like seeing and pushing that forward to say, hey, well, what if, what if you could actually not be uh, tied to data that was too lagged or too macro or some different version? What if it was contemporary? What if you could understand mm -hmm. that in real time? Um, how would that change your conversation with an employer if you're a broker? Or how would that change your conversation with a broker if you're a carrier? And uh, we're seeing that happen in real time, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. You, you observed a really interesting trend there, I think, and something that I've just seen. And 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 my world was commercial PNC. That's that's where I started my career, and that's where I spent most of my time. Because, you know, if you work in insurance recruitment and you have my accent and you live in, it, it, funnily enough, in the UK, then you're going to probably do it in London and and right. work with the Lloyd's market because right. because uh, <laughs> it's because it's it's the best market to work in. Um, and 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 obviously benefits isn't quite as big big a business over here. Um, but just watching that lag, we saw lots of kind of like very like marketable, exciting new entrants into the market. And, and I always see the sort of phases of, you know, lots of direct to consumer stuff like, but, but the, the more obvious and accessible from an outsider's perspective. So if you're coming into the insurance industry from outside the insurance industry, from tech, for example, you're going to know what travel looks like and home and motor because you've seen it. Um, so it was no surprise we started there. Then we started to see more complex 
PNC solutions, whether it be digital trading or things like that. And now it, it's kind of come up the value chain and we're starting to see complex reinsurance um, solutions, you know, companies like uh, SuperSeed, for example. Um, but but it, it, I think benefits fits in that same category of, of it's, it's a world in its own. It's complex from a insurance point of view, as in it's big carriers with big employers, with big brokers or, or brokers. And, and so unless you're in that world, you don't care about it. So it doesn't get that investment of technology. It doesn't get that outside person coming in and go, I'm going to tackle this. And, yeah. and, and, and I, I think that's you know, borne out by your career. I, I wonder whether you, you know, this 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 could only have been created by a, a team of people that come from the industry. I would imagine I, like, that would be my viewpoint on it. Um, do you think that's do you think that's fair to say? Uh, here, yeah, a couple of things I've learned. <clears throat> Starting a business is really hard. Growing a business <laughs> is really hard, and doing so effectively um, is on a consistent way over time is really hard. And I think the fact that we knew the business better than most. Um, was an advantage that we had that allowed for us to get through some some pathways early in the journey of our career that we probably wouldn't have been able to get through if we didn't know the business as intimately as we do. Yeah. And so I think it's certainly possible, but I'm um, I always appreciate when we meet with executive leadership on within the business, within the benefit space, and in the conversation there is an acknowledgement to. Uh, three flow, knowing the the space deeply, and saying mm -hmm. like and and having appreciation to that because what it informs us is how do we help drive better, more meaningful value quicker, and so we believe that that's really true. So I think it's possible. It would be um, a lot more challenging, I think, to understand the idiosyncrasies and the nuances of the business if you didn't have someone on your team that had lived and breathed in those moments. And I think especially early for us when we were building and we had the first crappy version of the thing that we're trying to sell. And, but we can still say like, but you know what happens here. This is where it falls off and this is where errors happen. Or you know, this is the part where you have to spend a whole bunch of time that doesn't generate a bunch of value and we can carry them through what that looks like. And we had some really, really wonderful partners early that believed in that better future. Now is we're at a point where um, the system is, is using that information to help drive their business forward in terms of value uh, of a value standpoint. It's it's really encouraging. So I think it would um, it would have been really hard. And as we consider the growth of the business, it's also something we 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 really value deeply. And part of how we recruit, and we have this um, really fun formula within Three Flow, which is a, a blend of deep domain and deep technologists. And a lot of our domain folks actually didn't know much about just like core tech and a lot of our technologists didn't know much about insurance and watching that formula sort of like bleed and blend over is really, really inspiring to watch watching folks that, or maybe a blue cross blue shield underwriter that's getting exposure to how does machine learning work. It's just like really, really cool and interesting. And uh, that's something that we'll continue to harness the energy on as we grow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh it's an exciting opportunity for people coming from both sides. You know, you, yeah. that that learning experience is, is is why to do it, and 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 you can see that. I mean, like my my modus operandi is bringing people from ins with the insurance. I do the insurance part of the insure tech, so I'm bringing that usually to tech driven businesses, yeah. and and that is why people want to go. They they go right. I know everything about 
within reason about my sort of underwriting specialism. I want to know how that works in a, you know, algorithmic driven environment, for example, or, or a machine right. learning environment, or I want to, I want to know how to create product. And, um, and that's what I think is this exciting thing for uh, you know, people that are kind of in the incumbent industry. Um, I wanted to, uh, it, actually, I was uh, just before I do that, um, taking it, I want to take it right back. So you, you, you were watchtower benefits at the start. Is that, is that correct? Um, why, what is I understand why the name change and, you know, why names are important. Uh, and I smile when I'm saying this as a man that's founded three businesses and, and getting the name <laughs> thing is like, yeah, yeah. it's one of the most fun bits, frustrating bits and, and kind of ridiculous bits that you obsess about. So I'm, I'm intrigued about why that happened or why you felt it need to happen. Yeah, I think for, <clears throat> there's a couple reasons and a couple drivers to it. Um, one of the things that we that we observed as we were growing the business when we were still Watchtower was that we we were building something net new in terms of a category, a new category of enterprise software within the employee benefit insurance industry. And and what we knew we needed was to uh, be a little bit more intentional in defining that category of, of software that we're building. And absent doing that, what happens is that you get then just bucketed into different shoeboxes of where do you fit. And, and we observed that that was something we were having conversations around a lot of, well, we're not, I'm not this, I'm not that. And it was sort of the, the counter anti-definition definition. And so we did understand very, very clearly that we needed to be intentional about defining that category and then naming what that category is. And so we did that with naming the benefits placement system as a category. And as the Ben admin system was a category that was created, we are creating the benefit and the benefit placement system category. With that, there was um, also a need to be intentional about the naming convention of the business. And when we were Watchtower, there was an idea, um, part of the thesis was this idea of an elevated observation point, right? That you've got an ability to understand how data and information is flowing and how business is ultimately flowing. Well, we realized that um, as the name was, uh, was sort of, in consideration uh, you know, to be evaluated, this idea of information flowing between was the core thesis. And so when we talk about three flow, we talk about it in the context of broker, carrier, and employer, and those being the three. And over time, the broker and employer are the two fixed units, and you could actually move carrier to be other stakeholder within the industry. And so what we liked was there was a rebrand moment of the company, but also a introduction of the category of software that we're building. And so we pulled this together um, in sort of a big bang moment to do both at the same time. And I've been really pleased with the outcome, right? Now we can be more intentional about planting that flag of, of what are we and, and what is it and giving it a name and then defining what is it to be, what are the definition requirements to be considered a benefits placement system and then uh, certainly establishing ourselves as a leader in that space. Yeah, that's much more intentional than, than, than some of the stuff <laughs> that I've, some of the stuff I've known. The insurance industry has generally been underserved by technology. Um, why do you think that is? Uh, because I think your solution is so, and, and I mean, this is the greatest compliment, um, as, as it, 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 it's obvious, it's, it's, it's an obvious need. Um, and, and that's what's always so surprising. Um, and I, I think all the best ideas are, you know, it's so, so obviously needed. Um, but why do you think we've been underserved by technology? Um, yeah, from someone that's come from that industry. 
You know, I, I think I would probably, I'd probably pivot that answer into, I think, I think that's always had a lot of really good investment in tech, but mm-hmm. I think it's been a little misguided in terms of where those dollars were allocated. Sure. If you, if you look at, and you know this from the PNC business, if you look back at some of the original, you know, big investors in technology, it was the, it was the insurance business all the way back to the seventies, you know, where they're making big investments. But I think what happened was that investment, especially on the carrier side that happened early. And then the outcome was many of these carriers built these big monolithic systems where they just bolted on top of each other. And so what happened over time is it became really, really challenging to think about how could I modernize that stack so that I could work better with my external parties. And mm-hmm. we, we observed that. I saw that when on the carrier side, there was a, a huge revamp of quoting and rating and policy admin systems. And, and those are big, you know, multi hundred million dollar kind of investments for some of these carriers. And so I think there was, I think there was investment in tech, but it was very much focused on solving for the me problem and not solving for the industry problem because they built all these siloed containers. And so I think they use tech and they spent money on tech. They would tell you they spent a whole bunch of money on tech. I would argue that they didn't get their best bang for their buck in terms Mm. of where they were spending money. And so the outcome was this very siloed world that the benefits industry lived in. Some of it intentional, some of it not intentional as far as the way in which it's constructed. And so I think what's happening now is there the carriers in particular are trying to figure out how do I unpack into a new digital strategy that actually allows for me to work more effectively with external constituencies? And so we're seeing carriers either do a full rip out and rebuild, mm-hmm. or they're trying to build sort of wrappers around it, whether it's a Salesforce wrapper, or whether it's other systems or solutions that try to act as that conduit layer in between their core systems and external. And then a lot of these carriers have been acquisitive over the last number of years, right? So mm. you buy two or three carriers and you've got, you know, thousands, if not tens, if not hundreds of thousands of underlying corporate clients that are built on one chassis. And then now you're trying to merge those two chassis together. Are you bringing it over to one, to the other, or are you moving something to net new? Mm-hmm. So these carriers are, they're, they're in these moments, I think, in terms of their evolution and journey that there's some, there's some real big dollars at play. Um, and now they're trying to figure out how do I most effectively allocate those dollars? It's the classic buy versus build kind of scenario mm. that we're seeing, especially with the quoting and rating engine and the policy admin systems. And mm-hmm. those are key drivers to their business. And, and we'll see how that, how that maps on to go forward. But I think they're historically their dollars were allocated. I think they just spent them at least a little bit in the wrong spot. And, um, and that just the advent of it was everything lived in its own little bucket. And, and that was the thing you'd said sort of it's obvious about what we're building. It, we do believe it was the item that was hiding in plain sight is you need a system that allows for these parties to work together and collaborate more deeply together. And you have to share the data. It's gotta be a shared system. Otherwise, yeah. if I'm working on one data set and you're working on a different data set, it just, that's where errors happen. And that's what we saw over and over and over again, based on our experience when we were on the carrier side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hiding in plain sight is the is a perfect example. That's that's the that's the dream challenge, I think, in, in any industry. Big enough, a big enough. Uh, yeah, because obvious also doesn't mean easy as well. I want I want to be clear that I, uh, I certainly wasn't being disparaging. I, uh, I I think it's 
um, I think it's super smart. Um, th th there's something there as well about people um, that we, we need to get to. It's like, but how do you get people to adapt to new tools, new processes? Because that's, you know, I remember working at, I, I joined RSA straight from college. They had a new claim system. Getting people to use it was the challenge. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, there was problems with it as well, but um, it was changing people's kind of adoption. Um, how do you go about trying to make that happen? <clears throat> what we've learned is you need to be really intentional and actually quite formal in how you think about change management within the insurance business and, and for us within the benefits business. Mm -hmm. and, and what we needed to solve for was actually two sides of the system needed to uh, go through a change management exercise and something that we work really hard on every single day, which is how do we make sure that each side, each constituency understands that we're driving towards this better outcome and better solution. And what we needed is making sure that you have real champions in that moment. So for us, mm -hmm. when we bring on a new brokerage entity, uh, that is a really, really core and fundamental part of our discussion with that brokerage firm, that there is executive sponsorship at the top level, as well as sort of an organic grassroots from the bottom up understanding of why we're doing this, because there is some net new change for them. And that is, mm -hmm. that's a real thing. And that's obviously a core human element of, please don't move my cheese. And I get really worried if you do. And so <laughs> we, we have to be really intentional about how do we make sure that we're supporting that journey and process. And we've learned that we actually need to construct a fairly formal um, sort of journey for that entity and those individuals to go through. And then that carries through on the carrier side. And that was and continues to always be one of the biggest challenges that you deal with when you're working in like a really deeply entrenched business. When you've got two stakeholders that have known each other for 10, 15, 20 years, and then you introduce a new way to allow those two parties to work together better. Yep. And initially, there's going to be one of those sides that will say, well, I don't, I don't know if I believe that to be true. And so mm -hmm. you have to really prove that. And, and we've understood that formalizing what that engagement looks like is really, really critical. But it's, it's an ongoing challenge. It's not a light switch. And once it's there, everyone feels like this is the best way ever. You have to really focus on that and make sure that the value drivers are clear and that you're supporting uh, those two entities to understand that this actually helps their business operate better and you're with them to support through the journey. And so when we, when we think about our team and how we recruit in, um, especially for those that have had ex uh, insurance experience in the domain, it's those individuals that get like so excited, they're giddy about this better future because mm -hmm. they've lived and breathed in the muck and mire that is the way it worked before. And now that they see they get side inside the walls of three flow and see kind of what is today and where we're going tomorrow, and they get really, really excited and emboldened about being able to share that story with our broker community and our, our carrier community. And that's really fun and, and encouraging for them to be able to, to lean into that moment because it's so rooted in their own experience. And that's been really fun for us culturally. One of our, uh, one of our values is, uh, is pushing boundaries. And that is, that's a core element to this change management is mm -hmm. you're going to hit walls and edges all the time. And we need to be really thoughtful and mindful about how do we help carry people through that so that they can see, hey, I'm going to point you to something that is different and different is scary, but that also can unlock all these better future moments and opportunities. 
Mm. It's so unique, uh, the insurance industry, that, um, you know, a lot of the work that we do, sales, partnerships, you know, there's a tendency, I think, if you have, if you have technology first founders, there tends to be a push towards SaaS type salespeople. And I think mm-hmm. when you have an insurance first founders, they're like, no, you're better taking that person from the industry teaching them how to sell in a sort of technology context or teach them how to build partnerships in a technology driven business context, because sitting there saying, I think this is a good idea for you, Mr. New or Mr. And Mrs. New client, um, because I've sat where you're sat. I know the challenges you're faced with, and this is why it's a good idea. Um, and, 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 and having that validity of, of, of sitting on that side of the fence, it's so important. Um, and, and of course, if it can talk, uh, but, but you know, you and I will have purchased technology for our own businesses and we're talking to someone who's, who's selling it to us. And, and, and you realize that they're, they're regurgitating why they as a business think this is a good idea. But you kind of almost need to have that individual touch and go, I've sat where you're sat. And I right. know why this is good. Um, right. right. Y- yeah. Well, and w- what we liked about the w- a formula that we've actually found to to work really well was as we were thinking about our sales leadership, uh, we actually intentionally recruited someone that that did come from more of the enterprise SaaS um, sort of background. Mm-hmm. And if you complement the frame and the formalization mm-hmm. that that can come with the what you're just talking about in terms of how do I connect with you individually about experiencing that moment so I can help navigate you through it. That that's been a really nice formula for us because then you've you've got you pull from some of the wonderful learnings within the enterprise SaaS businesses, right? And how do I think and formalize the way in which our go-to-market motions go? But then the touch to the client has this genuine moment of, no, no, I was right there. I lived what you're living. Mm. And so let me help you with that moment because I can see how getting you through this is going to lead to better outcomes for your business. And that has been a really fun unlock for us. And we've been really intentional as far as the, the team architecture, uh, architecture in that, in that sort of way. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that's, that is the perfect version of the, the, a team with a business like this is, is having that strategic leadership that, that comes from enterprise SaaS and then the complement of the sort of coal face of, 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 of the interaction with the clients from the insurance knowledge. Um, yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a conversation I have a lot. It's, it's, it's a sort of ubiquitous question about where do you blend that? As we were saying earlier, where do you blend the technology and the insurance? And, and um, you know, you don't want too much of either, really. Um, right. you, you, need right. to end, uh, you need to understand culturally that, you know, you're a technology business, but you serve the insurance industry. And, and, and so having that kind of right mix is absolutely crucial. Um, yep. I'm really conscious of your time. And, and certainly thank you for your patience because we've had a few tech issues. Uh, no, free, so, so for, been... for, for those people who aren't watching, we've, uh, we've lost camera a few times um, <laughs> on me. So it's no, no disaster. But we got there. Um, but, but really conscious that, you, you know, you've, you've done very well at raising um, in an environment just before it's, it's, it's tightened up a little bit. Um, what, what's the what's the plan for you this year? Um, I know we're sort of halfway through, um, yep. you know, lots of growth, new territories, or, or is it just doubling down on, on success so far? Yeah, we, um, <clears throat> so we have, we've had, we've been quite fortunate in terms of the the capital partners that we've had um, as part of the three flow team, you know, and mm-hmm. um, there was our board of uh, equal ventures and emergence capital and Excel have been 
really, really wonderful partners, both from uh, obviously the financing standpoint, but I, I would argue more importantly about if you're picking partner, what, what does that actually mean? And mm -hmm. uh, I've been fortunate to uh, to have selected some some really, really wonderful partners that uh, are supportive of the business and understand kind of the vision of where we're headed. And that's been um, really inspiring to, to obviously have that crew of partners around the table. So I'm always appreciative of that. As we think about the the sort of financing landscape for us, obviously the the macro uh, economic environment has has changed things a little bit in terms of what was the feeling and sentiment of the market in the fall or, or sort of late summer to what it feels like today. Uh, thankfully, we're three flows in a, in a good position in terms of uh, our current capitalization state. So I think realistically, our focus for this year is going to be executing on what we uh, like to refer to as our Super Bowl season, which is kicking off right now. Q3 for us is the, the highest volume quarter for us because most of the employee benefit contracts renew on a January one cycle. Uh -huh. So everyone is heads down focusing on making sure that these next couple of quarters go really effectively for three flow. And then what we uh, typically observe is the second half of the year for three flow is our opportunity to consider both a meaningful expansion to the software of the business. So, so uh, expanding the, the system itself, as well as considering additional uh, product verticals or categories. Mm -hmm. And so we will, uh, we'll, we'll be digging into that in the second half of the year so that as we consider and, and unveil any new products next year, that's going to happen, you know, really in the first half, because we go through the same cycle within each calendar year of if you launch something, you've got that launch must occur in the first half so that you can educate the market, go through any change management. And then the, the second half is really the execution. And then mm -hmm. the end of the year is kind of planning. And so for us, that's our focus right now is making sure that we're executing on, on the remainder of this year. But we have uh, a lot in store and coming up that are in early phases of um, of sort of R&D and, and build. And we're super excited about what uh, what the future will bring. That's amazing. Ryan, thank you so much. Um, it's been a really, really interesting conversation uh, and, a, and a timely one for me because uh, things are sort of hotting up in the benefits space generally. So um, yeah. uh, an education piece, uh, if, if, if nothing less, but I really appreciate your time. Um, and thank you so much for being a guest on the Leadership and Insurance podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you.